Good morning. Again, my name is Nathaniel Adaonu. I am from Togo. In case you're wondering about my accent, it's a mixed accent, French and English. And so I'm going to ask you to be patient with me. Um, I might not do it well. I will murder your English, your grammar, and all that. But I, I think we are in the Presbyterian Church, so the grace is a lot here. And so we trust the Lord will do it for us. It is a great, great privilege for me to be back, a joy for me to be back, um, Church of the Redeemer. Uh, we have a um, um, relationship between the New Harvest Missions and Church of the Redeemer over the past 16 years. And I wanted to pause and to thank you, uh, Church of the Redeemer. Uh, when he started, he started with uh, a man called Kofi, who, who is now went to be with the Lord. He's from Togo. And uh, we met. He was a great friend of the former pastor, Pastor Dean Faulkner. And through Pastor Dean Faulkner, we became a good friend. We came to this church. And before we know, a team was formed in 2008, and we were on the way to Togo. And since then, we've been a friend. This church has been supporting us since 2008. If I do well, the math is about 16 years. And I have in my heart to tell you before I can even say anything that, <clears throat> Redeemer, thank you very much. You are one of the partners who have helped us, have prayed for us. And I remember what Paul says to the believers in Philippi. He said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 8, he said that he remembered them when he prayed. He remembered them for two things. He remembered them because of the partnership. And I'm here this morning to tell you that all that we have been talking about and doing for the past 16 years, we have been doing it because of your partnership. We partner with you, and through your partnership, churches have been planted through your partnership. Leadership development is taking place. We're we raising leaders. And in fact, one of the churches that you, you helped uh, started and built uh, today, when I, I showed the pictures to some of you guys, back in 2008, it was a small dinky church. It was a church with 150 members. Today is a church with eight, uh, six, 600 members. And not that only that, but it is also a church where uh, we take people, we, we prepare them, we equip them, and release them to go back and plant two more churches. So the seed that you sow back in 2008 is bearing fruits. Not only that, uh, we have you sent also your pastor, Pastor Dick, Dean, Dean Faulkner, who came and trained a lot of pastors for us. Blair was there. I think Timberlake also was there. He trained pastors for us when they were young, about 16 years ago. And I'm here to tell you, because of your partnership, those young pastors are now today the senior pastors who have under their leadership responsibilities 
three, four churches that they are pastoring. So Church of the Redeemer, you have not done anything just to please us, but you have done it so that the name of the Lord will be lifted up. You have helped us train pastors. And this partnership that we have together, it is partnership that is bearing fruit. And I want you to know that we are so thankful. Thankful to, your, um, to the leadership. We are, we are very grateful to the leadership, grateful, grateful to, the, to those who um, have supported us financially. And uh, I want us to share that with you this morning. And so with that, I want us uh, to uh, turn to the text we have this morning. I've been asked uh, to share uh, the word of God with you and the urgency of sharing the God, uh, sharing the God word with, uh, with the people, sharing and going and making disciples. And so if you will, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. We begin from verse 19 through 30. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 11, uh, 19 to 30. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. Here is the word of God. Now, those who have been scattered through the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greek also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hands was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christian first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Please pray with me just for a moment. Our dear Father, we, we believe that you are a missional God. A God who, by nature, have called us to go and make disciples. 
You have guided us as a people, as a missional people, not just to sit on the pew, not just to be saved and rescued, but to be those who will go and make disciples. This morning, as we, we come together and pay attention and focus on the missions, we pray that you, you will reveal your heart to us so that we will see the people the way you want us to see them. You will see, we will see the nations the way you want us to see them. And so I pray that uh, the word that will come this morning, Father, you help me speak your word clearly and plainly to your people, that it will be an encouragement to them. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the ancient world, if you heard about Antioch, you will not think about religious city. When you heard about Antioch, you will not think about a religious city like Jerusalem where many people go and pray. Indeed, Jerusalem was a religious city where people, especially Jews, would go and pray. But when they talk about Antioch, what will quickly come to your mind is a city where anything goes. It was a city where you have so much prostitution, so much immorality, so much um, bad things was, uh, was taking place. If Jerusalem was a city or a religious city, and Athens was an intellectual city, or um, um, Roman Empire was a, a, a city known for the power of political city, Antioch, in another hand, was known for being a city where immorality was taking place. It was a city where you have uh, many, many people, many, many nationalities, multicultural, multi uh, ethnic, race, different top type of people will come to Antioch to look for better life. And it was in that city that God decided to raise a church, to establish a church. A church is about to be born, and that church is going to change the course of history. We read in Acts chapter 11, that that church was composed with various people. People from Africa, we know for sure that in Acts chapter 13, we were told that the leaders of this church were composed with different nationalities, such as Lucius, such as Simeon. Simeon, who was a man who came from Africa. We know that some other people, some other leaders, such as uh, Lucius of Sarin, and Manian, who was uh, the stepbrother of the head of the Tetrash. So we know that that church was a church that was composed with different nationalities, different people, different uh, race. But one thing that we also know about this church was that this church 
had disciples who had a passion for the gospel. By then, Jesus Christ had already given instruction to his disciples. You shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now the disciples begin to argue between them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time and the season the Lord have set by his own authority. But what you need to know is that you will receive power. And when that power comes, you will be able to go and be my witnesses. And when the power of the Holy Spirit came to the disciple, Peter was able to preach that sermon and 3,000 people came to know Christ. God drew 3,000 people to himself. And from there, the church began to grow. We know that all the disciples, day after day, they will gather around the, the, the feet of the apostle and for the breaking of the bread, for the teaching and, and the fellowship, as they fellowship, as they learn, as they do all those things, they were gathering and they were preparing and so they can go and make also disciples. The church is growing. The church is getting larger. And then we know that in chapter 4, that God was added more and more people to the, to the church. But this was not something that the Roman Empire liked. And so the persecution began to take place. In chapter 7, uh, Stephen will be stoned to death. The death of Stephen is going to trigger everything about the church, the early church. And when Stephen died, the church is going to begin to think twice because the huge persecution that starts coming make them think. Then in chapter 8, the text says in chapter, chapter 8 verse 1, that when the persecution, a huge persecution broke out, all except the apostle were scattered. The church was scattered. The people begin to go around. The disciples begin to run for their lives. And we notice one thing. The people were going around, the disciples were leaving, except the, the apostles. The leaders didn't get it. They didn't understand what was going on. But one of the interesting things that I find here, that when the disciples were running for their lives, were going around, you will think that they will be quiet. They won't say anything because they have been persecuted. They've been killed. And normal thing to do is to run for your life and not say anything. That was not the case for these, these disciples. 
The Bible tells us that as they were going running for their life, everywhere they go, they were sharing, they were talking, they were proclaiming the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever they go, they were preaching, they were proclaiming, they were talking. In fact, they were gossiping Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I wanted to take a look how these early disciples were living their missional life as they go around and proclaiming the gospel and trying to use it and see how we can use that and apply it to our lives today. There are three characteristics that I see here that the early churches, early disciples were doing as they were going and sharing the gospel. The, one, the first characteristic I see that the early church were doing is that they were having what I call a Christ-centered evangelism. They had a Christ-centered evangelism, and this was done by ordinary people. Remember, these people are running for their lives. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All church members are running. They are going around. A very interesting thing is that as they are going around, they're talking, they're sharing. They were sharing only with the Jews. But one thing we know that is these people were very, very committed, very engaged. They were very passionate. They want to share, preach the word. And the question is, what word they wanted to preach? The good news. What is this good news? The good news is that God broke into our world in the person of Jesus and come and live a life and live it abundantly and rescue us so that we can go and make disciples. It was God who came through the person of Jesus Christ. They were preaching, they were sharing, they were talking, they were asking and asking and asking people to completely surrender their life. So they had a message, a good news. The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that Christ died. And every time we talk about good news, we must have in the backdrop the bad news. And what is that bad news? That bad news is that we all were condemned to go to hell. And God in his mercy sent his son Jesus Christ to die. And so that we will live a life and live it abundantly. So that salvation will be provided to us. And that was the word that they were preaching. Now, you would think that these people were just, will have to be quiet and find a place to go and live their lives. But they were not doing that. And notice they were preaching the word and Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Everywhere they go, 
They preach Jesus, they talk Jesus, they breathe Jesus, they proclaim Jesus unto all the people. Their life, their completely life was saturated by Jesus Christ. And I suggest to you, if we are going to become uh, those missionaries or those disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ in our world today, we ought to have our life saturated by Christ. Everywhere we go, everywhere, every, everything we do, we have to do it uh, in the lenses of Jesus Christ. Jesus was all for them. Jesus in their workplace, Jesus in everything they do, they ask them, why are you here? Jesus. Where are you going? Jesus. Why are you come here? Jesus. Everywhere they go, Jesus. So much so that people will see them and so these people are, believe, are behaving like a Christian. They are behaving like a Christ, like a little Christ. And they had to call them Christian. Their entire life was about Jesus. Their entire life was about the, the goal, the vision, the purpose of God. And I remember one of my professors was telling me that the purpose that every human being, every believers, every believers who dare to take pleasure to whatever God wants and they do it properly, God will always bless them. God always bless those who radically radically align their purpose with God's purpose. And I believe the reason why God blessed them so much and the hands of God was upon them is because they aligned their purpose completely with God's purpose. The church is growing because these, these disciples, these originary disciples were just simple people these are the people who never went to seminary. They never been trained anywhere. They are not ordained. They, are, they do not even know what is a BCO, the book of church order. They do not know how to even plan the church strategically. Do we have to plan the church here? Do we have to find a place in the city where many people, a lot of people with a lot of money, so we can plan the churches and have money to run the church? They didn't have any of those things. They didn't even have to raise $400,000 to, to plant a church. The only thing they were doing is to share the gospel, to share the word. Everywhere they go is to talk about Jesus. The urgency we have, brothers and sisters, this morning is us to get out of our pew and go and talk and share and talk about Jesus to the world. What was going on is here, that in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when the, the great persecution broke out, uh, all the disciples were gone, except the apostles. The apostles didn't get it. 
They were sitting in the Holy Holy Club and trying to enjoy the church and pretend that we have to protect this church. So much so that they have to say, so even the Gentiles, this grace have come to them. If we are complaining about what is going on in the world today, we have to remember that our responsibility as a church is to get out of these four corners of this room and go and tell people about Jesus. This message of Jesus who came and died and gave us life so that we might have it abundantly is still ringing today. Salvation is for those who trust in the Lord. And if we dare to get out of this room, we will see the world come to this building. They went around the workplace, these ordinary people. They went to their neighborhood. They went to the, the churches. They went everywhere, synagogue, everywhere they can go and share the gospel. It was just simple people. No ordain, no teaching elders or ruling elders. They were just simple people who have passion to go and share the word of God. They had in the DNA this passion to go and tell people about Christ. And so whatever we do, whatever we say, we are called to go, church, to proclaim Christ, to proclaim the gospel. And that is what I call a missional living. A missional living is not only to go and proclaim because of the persecution. The missional living also is to embrace the suffering as we go and preach the gospel. Today we know that uh, it is very difficult, it is not popular in the Western world to talk about suffering because we want to enjoy our AC even in the big churches like this. We complain about everything. We complain that the AC is too cold, it's too hot, it's too, the, the, the carpet is too red, it's too blue, it's too, the pew is too high, it's too soft, and we complain about everything. We do not want to suffer anymore. And yet we are complaining about the people. We are complaining day after day that the, the, hell, the, the world is going to hell in handbaskets. And here we sit in, in the pew singing Kumbaya every day. We do not want to be called names. But if you see, you see that this church in Antioch was ready to suffer. They were ready to go. They wouldn't even count the count, the cost. They wanted to go and see the church be established. You see, suffering is a part of our DNA as a church. So if we, in the Western world, we are complaining that the church is shrinking, and indeed the church is shrinking, the question that we must ask ourselves is, whose responsibility is this? You know, we who are sitting in this room today, 
if each one of us decide to go and share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers, this place will be filled with people. But we decide not to do it because we are afraid. We are afraid that they will call us names. They will think that we are maniac. They will think that when they see you come, they will be running away from you. Oh, this guy is coming again with this, this question about Christ, about Jesus. I'm not into this Jesus thing. And so we do not want to do anything. And yet we sit in the pew, we, sit, we sing songs. Day after day we love Pastor Adam's preaching. He preaches and you go to him and say, Ah, oh, I love your preaching. And what do you do with those preaching? Suffering is a part of the game. We must go. If you are complaining about all that is going on in the world today, especially in the Western world, you're complaining about homosexuality, do I have a right to say it? Well, I will say it and I get out of here and go to Africa. We're complaining about homosexuality. We are complaining about our children, the most illiterate, educationally illiterate, biblically illiterate generation. Our brother Zach, Zach and the other folks said it here yesterday. They know nothing about the Bible. And yet we are quiet. We get up, we leave them at home, and we come to the church. How do you think that the world will come to follow Christ. Your generation is dying. And guess what? The next generation that will come, if you don't get out of this pew and go and share the gospel, they will die also and go to hell in handbaskets. The urgency is there. We are called to go and preach the good news. Salvation must be preached. The word must be proclaimed. We must proclaim the suffer, the suffered word of Christ. The one who suffered, the one who came and died for us. And as we proclaim, we proclaim that word, the church will be established. I know this type of message is not sexy, is not good message to preach in Western world, especially with my crazy accent. But brothers, we have work to do. We must die. We must die for the sake of the gospel. You know, every time we talk about suffering, we talk about persecution, we talk about all that, you have to understand the only way, the only way the church in the end church was able to be established is because God caused a persecution and that persecution broke out and all the disciples began to go everywhere and begin to share. Otherwise, we would never have the church in the end church. It's a part of the, the, our life as a Christian. I remember what the, the, the father, the early father said in the second century. He said, the Tortullian, he said, the blood of the murdered is the seed of the church. 
the blood of Christians and the seed of the church. We are sitting here this morning enjoying this cool weather is because some of them have given their lives. Never count the cost. They were crucified. Some of them were crucified. They were given to the lion. They were butchered. They were thrown in a, on a hot oil and died gruesome death as their own savior, the one you love so much. He died gruesome death so you can enjoy your life this morning as a Christian. Suffering. Suffering is in our DNA. Every time we talk about suffering, I remember what uh, this, uh, uh, another father, the early father said, Polycarp, he said, ever since I've known this man, I was just a child when I decided to follow this man. And I follow him. He never done me anything wrong. And how can I deny my Lord and my Savior? He was burned at the stake. Suffering. Brothers and sisters, if you didn't get anything from this message, I want you to understand we cannot go ahead without suffering. Some of us are living in very difficult conditions. We are working in a very difficult context. If you know anything at all about Mali and Niger and Burkina Faso, you know today the most difficult places in West Africa are those places. You wake up in the morning and you see dead body all over because the, the Muslims are trying to kill, to torture, to, uh, to persecute uh, Christian, and yet they said, we will not count the cost. We will stand tall. We will go. We will share the gospel. And guess what? The church is growing. The church is growing because those people have completely surrendered their lives. Persecution is a part of the game. Persecution, the suffering, is what caused the church in the New Testament to grow. If you see today in China, in India, in all those places that we heard that the church is growing, the church is growing because persecution is there, because the suffering is there, and they, do not, they are not counting the cost. They face the persecution, and they go, and they share the gospel, and the church is growing. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know the Christ Centered evangelism calls us to live a missional life, to live a life of suffering, a life of persecution, to go everywhere we can go and talk about Christ and proclaim salvation, salvation to all human beings. Not only that, we as a missional, we live a missional life as a Christian, as a disciples. The church in Antioch exemplifies us also to encourage a mission-minded leadership. And we see it in verse 22 to 26, the mission-minded leadership. Now, the church have heard, the church in Jerusalem have heard that the church in Antioch, so a church is born in Antioch. And so they decided that they are going to send a man called Barnabas 
And you know, Barnabas was a man who was a man of encouragement. His real name was Joseph. He was the one who sold his property in Acts chapter 4 and laid his money under the feet of the apostles. Can you imagine today sending, selling your property, one million, two millions, and lay it under the feet of the leadership of this church? Tomorrow you will be on CNN. But yet, this man was a man of encouragement and he was sent from Jerusalem to go to Antioch to see what was going on because the leaders in Jerusalem do not trust that anything good can come from Antioch. But when Barnabas arrived, the text tells us that he didn't see people who um, are, are just doing anything bad. He saw the church that was growing, the church that was growing in grace, and he encouraged them. He didn't see a church that is, is immature. He didn't say, well, you know, these people are a bunch of heathens. When I come to tell them what to do, they are not doing it properly like they are doing it. we are doing it in Jerusalem. He didn't say that. But the text tells us that he looked at them and he saw the grace of God upon them. He decided to join the team. He decided to help them. He decided to do what he can do. He didn't correct their theology. He didn't correct the inexperienced leaders and say, well, you, you need to go to Bible school, you need to go to seminary, you need to, although all that is good to do, but he didn't do that. He stayed with them. He see in them the grace that was at work and he encouraged them. And I believe that if we are going to be that a kind of a church, we must encourage our leaders. We must do all that we can and see the good side of our leaders, the vision of our leaders. See our leaders that are working with us, bring them together, pray for them, and keep them away from any trouble that can come on them. Bring all the leaders together in your church and pray for them day after day. These men called Barnabas saw in the leaders people who have a potential, talent, gift, and used those to encourage them. One of the things that has happened again and again in our churches that is actually destroying our churches is the fact that we are not unified as team leaders. Leaders are not unified. When you go to churches, what you see is jealousy, envy, backstabbing, people who don't want to work together, they talk back about each other, they say things that they're not supposed to say, they trash each other. And a mission-minded church must encourage mission-minded team leaders. 
coming together, working together, doing things together, praying together, and see the same vision as they lead the church, as they grow the church. That is what I call mission-minded church. And that is what um, Barnabas saw in these people. He empowered them. And when the church needed someone to come and mature the church, he said to them, I don't think I have that talent. I know someone who can do that. And he went and called Saul, who later on became Paul. And Paul came. And for one year, he trained them. He matured the church. He grew the church. They prepared the church. They equipped the church, the leaders. And so they were able to send more leaders around the world. Can you imagine looking for... Uh, wanting to plant a church in Charlottesville and uh, you get all that you need and you wanted to send someone, you sit down, the ruling elders, the teaching elders, all of, the, all of you guys sit down together, you pray, and then you decide that you are going to send Pastor Adam, the best of the best of your team leader. The reason why the church in Antioch was able to do that is because they were working in the team. Everyone knows, have the vision, knows what they were doing. And it was possible for them to release the best of the best, Paul and Barnabas, so they can go and plant more churches. Living a missional living or life demanded that we preach a Christ-centered message, demand also that we suffer the persecution and all that. Not that we are looking for suffering and persecution, but we are praying and asking God to release the nations for that. If that has to cost our life, it will cost our life. Living the missional life also re requires that we encourage mission-minded team leadership. And finally, I come to tell you that living a mission, missional life also requires that we have a very good Christ-centered generosity, Christ-centered generous church. And we see that in verse 27 through 30. And when they gathered together and uh, they, they were praying when uh, the word come that uh, a, a severe famine is going to break out in Jerusalem. And what they did, they began to think, how can we help this church? How, what can we do as a church so that the church in Jerusalem can stand firm during the difficult time we are going? They are going, they are going to be going through. And so what they came up with is to begin to take offering. And they took offering and they sent offering. A mission-minded church is a church that is very compassionate, Christ-centered generosity, a church that is able to listen to what the Spirit is saying and be 
able to give for the sake of the gospel. I remember in 2020 when the, uh, the COVID hit the world, uh, we were in a very difficult situation. All our churches were calling, they were asking. Uh, in the morning, every, every time I wake up, I, ha I will have a, a bunch of emails and text messages from WhatsApp and all that. And uh, I wrote a letter, and I start calling my supporting churches. And I call Church of the Redeemer. And I ask them, this is what we are going through. Would you be able to do something for us? And I remember Megan said, well, I will go and talk to my pastor, talk to the leaders, and talk to the missions team. And sure enough, they came back. And they took offering, the Christmas offering. And they gave it, they sent it over to us. And we bought bags of bags of rice and food and all. And we sent it to all the people. As a result, thousands of thousands of people were able to eat. And so that opened the doors for us in a place that we could not go that we were able to go and share the gospel. As a result, we were able to plant churches. Generosity in a church opens door for more work to do for the gospel. God has raised up some people in the church, some of them to be able to give, not only financially, but your time. Some of you are doctors, some of you are lawyers, some of you are business people. The Lord wants you to use your time, your talent, your gift as generosity to go and use it for the sake of the gospel. Are you a doctor? The Lord is calling you, go to the world and use your gift to help people, to, to treat people so that the door will be open for the gospel. Are you businessmen? Use your business skill. Are you a wealthy man? You have money, you have finances. I know we don't supposed to be calling, talking about those here. But the Lord will bless you. The Lord bless you so that you will use your finances to be a blessing for the church. If this church, Church of the Redeemer, need money to buy something, to do something, you have some resources, Open your heart. Give it up so that we can use it for the sake of the gospel. The church is the church is the place where generosity takes place. The church must think that those people who are poor and needy within us, in our, within our church, we must help them. We must take care of them. We must feed them. We must meet their needs. As we do that, the God will add more people to, to you, to the folk, or to the, to the church in which we are serving. Brothers and sisters, I came this morning to remind you that living a missional life is to preach a Christ-centered uh, message and use 
ordinary people to do so. A missional church living is also to use, to equip, and to have a mission-minded leaders who are ready to lead the church in one vision, in one in, in oneness, in one vision, in one spirit. And also having mission-minded church or living church, it is also to have Christ-centered generosity. If we do that, the Lord will add more people to his flock. And not only you add more people to his flock, the evidence of the grace of God will be upon the church. And they will see it. And people will say, these are truly Christians. Let us pray. Father, this is what you have asked me to do and to say to your people. I have faithfully said your word. And I pray that as we go from here, that we will, wish we will be your witnesses, not only here in the Monroe area in North Carolina, but we will go around in the United States and ultimately around the world. We pray, O oh Lord, that you give us a boldness to speak your word, to speak your word with boldness. We pray that you help us raise up mission-minded leaders who will be able to go and to help equip your church. Help us to raise those who will be able to have a generous heart so that your church will be established here on earth as it is in heaven. So help us, God, we pray. Amen.